Today, Pastor Javen continues our series on Genesis, and we see the danger of going our own way apart from God. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. When I was in college, I was a part of a one-act play. Uh, uh, it was one of the things that I, I did while I was there. And this one-act play is a play that focuses on a family that kind of gets caught up in the middle of this twisted tale. <laughs> the, it's, it starts with a brother and a sister in a living room together. The bro- brother's playing hooky uh, from his job that day, and his sister is there, and the phone rings all of a sudden. The sister ends up answering it, and it's her brother's employer who's looking for her brother. And so she comes up with a reason for why her brother's not there that day. And it is a horrible reason for why he's not there. Well, at the same time, the family's missing a cat. Well, as the, as the play goes on, you find that neighbors and family and friends and the employer come to the house to pay their respects for this horrible reason that the sister gave for the brother not being there. And the parents are clueless and they think they're all stopping by to talk about their lost cat. So it's a, it's a classic double meaning storyline that blends comedy, right? And confusion in the midst of tragedy or what you think is tragedy. The name of the play is called, Oh, What a Tangle Web We Weave. And it comes from a quote from Sir Walter Scott that says, Oh, what a tangle web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Maybe you've heard that quote before. Well, this is where we find ourselves in the book of Genesis. We find ourselves with a situation a lot like this in the book of Genesis today, a practice of deception. And this is what I hope that we get out as we explore the scripture together this morning. This is what I hope that we pull out of this today. When we go our own way, when we go our own way, we go apart from God, apart from his will, apart from his time, we go our own way, we pay a great price. But when we surrender to God, we receive a great reward. All right. Now, since Genesis chapter 12, every account that we've been looking at has been centered around Abraham. It's been centered around the promises that have been given to Abraham and how Abraham responds to the promises that have been given to him. And last week we saw one of Abraham's greatest tests that he had to face when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, which thankfully we saw that that's not really what God wanted. God wanted their hearts. And so we saw that play out. And it wasn't just a test, we said, for Abraham. It was a test for Isaac as well because Isaac needed to gain his own faith apart from his father's faith in God. He needed his own faith in God. So as we move forward from Genesis chapter 22, the focus then switches from Abraham to Isaac. Now Isaac's mother, Sarah passes away and Isaac ends up, uh, marrying a woman by the name of Rebecca. And the account of how Isaac gets his wife, Rebecca, it's a very interesting historical account. Uh, And and what happens is one of the servants of Abraham travels to uh, a land of Haran where a family member of of theirs is living by the name of Laban. And the servant goes to seek a spouse for uh, for Isaac. This is how they did it then. And, and, And it's a much more sophisticated way of how we would do it. Maybe you did this. Young, old, I don't know. It's like, hey, my friend likes you. Do you like them? Will you go out with them? Right? This is, this is, a, this is how they did it. It's on a much more sophisticated level, though. Much more sophisticated level. Now, there is a relationship key I do want to take just a moment to point out from this passage. All right? If you are seeking a relationship for, with a significant other or even in the relationship that you have married and in your family, there. When Isaac, when Abraham's servant goes and he's looking, we see this servant stop and pray a very specific prayer 
in order to find a, 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 a spouse for Isaac. He prays a very specific prayer. That should be what we do in our life as well. Pray specific prayers. If you're seeking for someone, pray specific prayers. Seek God's will, seek God's direction, and pray specific prayers. When you get married, pray specific prayers over your spouse and how you want to see them grow in their relationship with you and in your family together. Pray specific prayers. But this happens. Rebecca comes back. They they get married. And then we see... Abraham dies, and it's not long after Abraham dies, we see the birth of Esau and Jacob, fraternal twins. Everybody gets excited when twins are born, right? And so, so well, everybody gets excited when anybody's born, but for some reason, when twins are born, it's like, hey, twins. And so that's crazy, too. And then when there's even more, it's even crazier. But Esau and Jacob, they're fraternal twins. We're going to see they don't look alike at all. So they're fraternal twins. Esau is born first, but Jacob comes right behind him grabbing his heel, Scripture tells us. Right? He's got a hold of his heel. It's like, ah, no, 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 it's me, it's me. He wants to be the oldest. See, if there's anything about twins that I know, see, I have twins. And so one of the most popular questions that my twins get every time that someone meets them and realizes for the first time that they're twins is, who's the oldest? Everybody wants to know who's the oldest. So this is a great debate in our house. My daughter says this is not a debate. She is the oldest. She's the oldest in the twin situation there. Now, here's the, I'll explain the situation to you. This is why it's a debate. When our kids were born, when our twins were born, right? After I grieved, when I found out we were going to have twins, I'm like, how in the world am I going to do this? But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so we go and, and the twins are born and, and when Gretchen Griffin is pulled out first. Okay. And, uh, and, and then Gretchen, but Griffin comes out screaming and crying. Gretchen comes out, not saying a word. All right. Times have changed. It's totally different now. But, uh, but Gretchen comes out not saying a word, but she also comes out just like pale, pale white. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And Jenny looks at my face and she's like, what's wrong? And uh, nothing, nothing. All's good. Everything's good. So when, when the anesthesiologist behind us says, hey, listen, you want to go see your babies? I immediately walk around to Gretchen. Gretchen's still not crying. I hear Griffin, right? Gretchen's still not crying. Well, the anesthesiologist goes, let's go look at, let's go see Griffin. Let's go see Griffin. They're, none of them are panicked, but I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, what is going on here? So I go over to, to Griffin. I'm like, hey, yeah, you're screaming. Are you going to do that a lot? Right. Okay. So, um, but then all of a sudden I hear the most, the, 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 the sweetest cry I would ever hear from my daughter is when she started crying. And then immediately I go right back over to where she is. So, so the thing is, when we get asked, who's the oldest, we say, well, Gretchen came out first. Griffin was breathing first. Like that was the, that's what we say. So it's like, but Gretchen, she holds, she's the oldest, right? Now for us, it doesn't really matter who's the oldest. That's just kind of our story. In this day, it mattered a lot. Who was the oldest? Who is the oldest in this situation? Because the oldest held what was known as the birthright, which meant they had the right as the firstborn to receive the blessing that came from the father. Now we get to the situation in, in the story in uh, Genesis chapter 27. Isaac believes he's getting old. He believes or knows he's getting old. He believes he's about to pass away. And maybe he thinks he's about to die because he's around the same age that his brother Ishmael died. But because he thinks this, he's ready now to bestow his blessing 
on his son. And this is where the account, this is where the account gets kind of interesting. See, the blessing is what, it, this was the declaration of intent that the father passes on to the next generation. It's who's going to get the inheritance, right? Who's going to get the lead? Who's going to have the, to be in charge of the family and what's going to take place next. But there's a problem that we encounter in the family because what's taking place is there's division in the family. Basically what you have is you have Isaac and Esau on this side and you've got Rebecca and Jacob on this side and there's division. And where there is division, there is the potential for destruction. Division is not good. And because there's this division, we're going to see deceptiveness take place within the family. But let's go back and I want us to see a little bit of historical context as we set up this story in this situation today. Genesis chapter 25, start at verse 21. It says that Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she, just like Sarah was, was unable to have children. Well, the Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. And the Lord said to her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. Isn't that nice? So they named him Esau, right? How would you like to be named Harry? Like, I mean, that's why, that's what... Well, there are some people named Harry, actually. I mean, but not, but it's spelled different. Anyway, um, then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, which means grasper, but it also meant deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Bless Isaac's heart. But anyway... So God had already made this declaration of who was going to be the one to get the blessing. And it was going to be Jacob. Jacob was going to be the one. The younger was going to be over the older. The older would serve the younger. But Isaac is at a point when we get into our context that we're reading today. Isaac's at a point where he's ready to get the blessing. He wants to get the blessing to Esau. Now, is Isaac being defiant to the will of God? Or is Isaac just doing what is customary for them in their time and in their culture to do? Knowing, just like his father Abraham had reasoned that God could raise the dead, maybe Isaac's in a place where he reasoned and believed that even though he does what's customary, God can take it and he can make what happened what's supposed to happen and Jacob get the blessing. We don't see exact scripture as to why, but here's what we do know. We do know this, Genesis 25, verse 28. This is what's referencing what I mentioned about the division. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So what appears to be happening is it appears that both Isaac and Rebecca have misplaced priorities in their family. See, again, just another quick side notes here. In the family, there are priorities that go in order. Okay. God is always priority number one in our life. In your individual life, even when you get married, even when you have a family, God is priority number one. He will always be priority number one. When you are married and you have children, the marriage, the relationship between husband and wife, that's priority number two. Even when you have kids, it stays priority number two, right? Then you have kids, they are priority number three, okay? My kids like to ask, who's your favorite? Mom, mom is my favorite, right? But when I'm with them individually, I always let them know you're my favorite. Because they are, all three of them. They're my favorite. That's no secret. They know that. I'm not divulging anything. 
right? I love them, them all. But here's what's happening. There's misplaced priorities in this relationship. Isaac and Rebecca seem to have made the relationship with their children more important than their relationship with each other. And Isaac and Rebecca also, Rebecca also seem to have made the relationship for, or, or made what they want for their kids and what they want their kids to get more important than seeking God's will for their kids. Right? So parents, we've got to understand this. We are not meant to be our children's Lord and Savior. We are not meant to be our kids' Lord and Savior. Okay? We, we have a responsibility to raise our kids according to the phase that they are in in their life. And we raise them differently according to whatever phase they're in when they're younger. It's different than they, than they look when they get a little bit older, right? We raise according to different phases. But we have got to remember that we are not the Lord of their life that rules over the entirety of their life. Nor are we the Savior of their life that fixes every problem that they find themselves in. Right? We've got to teach our kids and model for our kids and show our kids the importance of praying and seeking God and seeking his will and seeking his direction and seeking him for discernment in our life and trust that they're going to follow that when they make the decision for their own faith in their own life. And we have to trust that they do that. Now, if they grow older and it looks as if they're not living according to the way that God wants us to live, as scripture speaks in our life and they're doing things that looks like it's out of line with the word of God, then we can offer sound wisdom, but we've got to remember we're not their Lord. We're not their savior. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit leads them to conviction and the Holy Spirit leads them to where he needs them to be, right? And nevertheless, this is where we are with Isaac and with Rebecca. And here's something else that we know about Isaac. Isaac is not above deception. Because we see in Genesis chapter 26 that Isaac does exactly what his father Abraham did to the one of the same kings that Abraham did it to, the second king that Abraham did it to. Isaac does it. He goes to King Abimelech and he tells Abimelech that Rebekah is his sister, not his wife. Same thing that his dad Abraham did with Sarah. Why? Because he's trying to protect himself rather than trusting God in every situation in his life. We talked about it last week, just like with Abraham, Isaac is facing tests in his life. Our faith is always tested. It comes through temptations. It comes through trials. God tests us to bring out the best in us. Our enemy tempts us to bring out the worst in us, right? That's what we talked about. Now, when we get into Genesis chapter 27, we see Isaac tell Esau, he says, I'm getting old. I'm losing my sight. I'm losing all kinds of things. It's old. It's what happens. So I think I'm about to die. All right. That's encouraging. Great. Good to hear that dad. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out. I want you to kill something. I want you to bring it back, cook it up. We're going to eat together. And when we eat, I'm going to give you the blessing. Now, Rebecca, she's standing on the other side of the room or somewhere else. And and she hears what's happening. So she starts eavesdropping to what's taking place. Rebecca goes back and she tells Jacob, okay, here's what we're going to do. You go out to the farm, you get a goat, you bring it back. I'm going to cook it up. You take it to your dad. And then you're going to tell him you're Esau and he's going to bless you in return. Well, Jacob's concerned. Good. He should be concerned, but he's concerned for the wrong things. All right. He's concerned about the differences between him and Esau. Remember we read it. Esau was really hairy. Jacob wasn't. Okay. And and Esau must have a stench about him because he likes the outdoors. Jacob doesn't because he likes the inside. 
So his mom says, okay, we're going to take the skin of the goat. We're going to cut that skin off. We're going to put it on you. So when your dad touches your arm, he's going to feel you hairy. And he's going to say, oh, that is Esau. Not only that, the smell of the goat skin on your body is going to smell like Esau. What does this say about Esau, right? I mean, this is like, dude, take a shower. But anyway, this is, this is what's happening. And, and, and so, but here, here's the thing. Jacob is not concerned with the fact that they are being deceptive. Jacob is concerned what happens if we get caught. That's the difference. Because Jacob tells her, look, if we get caught, then I'm not going to get a blessing. I'm going to get cursed. And Rebecca says, no, I'll take the curse if we get caught. But all Jacob is focused on is the consequences. He's not actually focused on the fact that they are doing something wrong. When it comes to sin in our life, we can't just hate sin's consequences. We've got to hate sin. Sin itself. Because if all we're thinking about is the consequences, then we're going to push ourselves as close as we can to the sin and see how much we can get away with without getting caught. But we've got to hate the sin to avoid the sin. And then look at this chilling statement when Jacob goes in and he's talking to his father and his dad's questioning all of this. And he says, how did you do this so quickly? Genesis 27 verse 20, Isaac says, how did you find it so quickly, my son, the food? And Jacob responds, the Lord, your God, put it in my path. Jacob replied. Jacob excused his sin by claiming that God was a partner in his performance. He's going pretty far here. And notice that he says to his dad, the Lord, your God. See, you're noticing the relationship that Jacob has with the father right here. There's not really one. There's not really one with the heavenly father. There's no relationship. But this whole family is substituting schemes and deception in order to get what they want to get. In order to make what they believe is God's will happen. In the place of submitting to God and trusting God and believing that his will and his timing will take place when it needs to take place. So when Esau comes in and they realize him and his dad, they realize what happened. He and Isaac both get extremely upset. Genesis 27, 36, we see this. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob. Remember I told you it's two meanings. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn and now he's stolen my blessing. Well, that's not, that's not completely true. See, Jacob didn't really cheat Esau twice. Esau chose to give up his birthright. And now Jacob is deceiving his father. Now, Jacob played a part in kind of manipulating and stirring the pot, no pun intended. You'll see that in just a second. But Esau made a choice and Jacob is deceiving the father to get the blessing. Look, go back with me. Look at Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. It says, one day while Jacob was cooking some stew. Let's see, he was stirring the pot. Esau arrived home from the wilderness. Delayed joke. Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his uh, uh, other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation. Was he really? Said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and 
some lentil stew, and Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. See, I want to pinpoint this part of the account and what's happening in Jacob and Esau's life because all of us stand in the place of Esau at some point in our life, if not multiple points in our life. Where we've got to make a choice. Are we going to be strong in the spirit, the gift that God has given us, his spirit in our life? Or are we going to succumb to the weakness of our flesh? See, if, we, if God's given us the spirit to lead us, to direct us, to guide us, and to help us in this life, if we ignore the spirit within us, or we take for granted the fact that we have the spirit in our life, and we choose instead to succumb to an immediate gratification, then what we're doing is we're trading away and selling away something that means the world to us for something that means so little. Don't trade away the most important thing in your life, which is your life and your relationship and your connection with the Father for desires of your flesh that only satisfy and never fulfill. Don't sacrifice fulfillment in God for satisfaction. Don't trade your family, your marriage, your integrity for temporary satisfaction. See, the tears of Esau more tears of regret than they are tears of repentance. The author of Hebrews gives us some commentary on this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, he says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Esau discovered regret cannot reverse your past decisions. The only thing that can cover cover our past is the grace of God. That is the only thing that can cover our past. Again, throughout this whole account, we are seeing individuals seeking their own way, their own will, their own desires, and they pay a great price for it. Because when we try to go our own way, we pay a great price. But we can see some warning signs that are happening within this family. And if we pay attention to these kind of warning signs in our life as well, it can help us a lot. See, Isaac was rushing the situation and he was acting in haste and unnecessary urgency. He's going to live to be about 180 years old. He's, he's going to have quite a few years from the time that he wants to bestow this blessing now. And he's rushing the situation with Esau to do the blessing before he dies. There is a part that we play in obedience to God and acting in obedience to God and acting according to his will and acting according to his timing. But if we are trusting God to orchestrate situations and orchestrate the circumstances of our life and orchestrate the timing for our life, it's not likely that God is going to have you act in haste in your life. Listen, we know that Isaac loved Esau, Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac thinks he's about to die. So Isaac acts in haste to give a blessing to his son Esau. Rebekah acts in haste to get that blessing for Jacob. Rather than seeking God for what the timing should be and how this is going to play out. So when you find yourself acting out of haste for what you want more than you are pausing to seek God, that might be a flag. That is a flag. Pay attention. Pay attention. 
Another flag is a lot more obvious, and that is deception and conspiracy and secrecy. When you find yourself being deceptive and acting in secret or conspiring to make something happen, C.S. Lewis said a little lie is like a little pregnancy. Because once you plant the seed of a lie, you have, it has a tendency to birth a problem. So your flag is when you start thinking more about the practicality of what you're doing and the penalties like Jacob was, the penalties you're trying to avoid for what you're doing. If you focus on those things more than you focus on the principles behind what you're doing, that's a flag. Pay attention. And the third flag is misplaced priorities. This was a family that was supposed to walk under the covering of God together. But instead, they're torn apart because of the mistrust they have between each other and the misplaced priorities they have in their life. See, Isaac, Esau, Rebecca, and Jacob, they don't pay attention to these flags and they pay a great price for the decisions that they made. What's the prices that they paid? Esau, I mean, Isaac, he, he basically fueled the rivalry between Jacob and Esau without realizing it. Because what he did was he placed a curse on anyone who cursed Jacob whenever he blessed Jacob. Well, what does Esau do immediately? Esau curses Jacob. So now Esau's cursed. The one he loves, the son he loves is now cursed because of the words out of his own mouth. What's the penalty that, that Esau receives? Esau eventually reconciles with Jacob, but here's the thing. He ends up estranged from God's promises. And he becomes the father of a nation of people called the Edomites who end up being in living in opposition to the people of Israel. What did Rebecca lose? Rebecca lost both of her sons. Jacob had to flee to Haran to avoid Esau. Esau fled to go live in the land of Edom. And she thought this might be just temporary, but according to scripture and the way scripture reads, Rebecca never sees her son Jacob again after this moment. And Jacob who thinks he's going to receive an immediate inheritance, ends up having to flee for his life. He thinks he's going to have immediate rule and reign over everything that his father has. But what happens instead is he becomes an indentured servant to his uncle Laban. Because when we go our own way outside of God and his covering, we'll pay a great price. We see all throughout this account with Isaac and his family that when we sow to the flesh, we reap from the flesh. When we sow to the pleasures of the flesh, we reap the corruption that comes from the flesh. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Galatians, a letter that he very strongly argues the grace of God and the covering of the grace of God. He also warns about sowing and reaping and saying that this is a principle you cannot ignore. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh, whether you're under the grace of God or not in this life. See, Paul, Paul understood the sowing and reaping when it comes to your flesh. We also learn that godly ends do not justify ungodly means. Even if your goal is biblical, even if your motivation is pure, your methods have to be biblical and pure. God doesn't create evil in order to bring good. Now, God orchestrates 
evil that has happened and good that has happened to bring it all together for his good plan and purposes. But he doesn't create evil for good. And the only way to find life is to find life in God. It's the only way. But see, all throughout this account, we are seeing sin do what sin does. Sin separates. Sin is separating man from each other, and sin is separating man from God. But the Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God does, and that is reconcile. When we go our own way, we pay a great price. But when we trust God and we surrender to God, we receive a great reward. And Jacob is going to realize this. He's going to realize the truth of this. As you go into the next chapter, he's going to see where Jacob made this proclamation, Genesis 27, the Lord, your God. We're going to see where Jacob begins to his process and his journey of his own faith to begin to proclaim God as his God. See, after all this happened, Jake, we said Jacob had to flee and go to Haran. Jacob found himself leaving the place he wanted to be to get to the place he needed to be. Sometimes the place we want to be is actually a hindrance. It hinders us. It keeps us from being where we need to be in order to hear from God. But let's see what happens really quickly as we're about to come to a close. Genesis 28. This encounter that Jacob has with God. 28 verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and he stopped there for the night. And Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven or a ladder. And he saw that the angels of God were going up and down that stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. He's hearing the same promise, the same covenant that God had made with Abraham, that God had made with Isaac. He's now making it with Jacob. He says, what's more, I will be with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. I wasn't even aware of it. Lord have mercy. We could preach a whole message on that. I mean, my prayer often when I'm over there worshiping before services is God, your presence is here. Just make us aware of it. Let us be aware of your presence. So often in our life, we walk unaware of the fact God's right there. Jacob is finally becoming aware of it, but he was also afraid. And he said, what an awesome place this is. It's more, it's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. And everybody says, amen. Although it was previously called Luz. And then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if, he'll, if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will certainly be my God. 
And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Right, now, once again, we are seeing, we're, we're a part of a supernatural story. <laughs> there is a realm we see, there's a realm we don't see. And that's why Paul says the fight we fight in this life is not against flesh and blood, it's against principalities and powers of the air. But Jacob, in a dream, has this, this, this visual of the unseen realm. And he sees this ladder, this staircase between heaven and earth. And at the top of the staircase, top of this ladder, is the Lord, it says. But take notice, is Jacob being called to go up that ladder or is God's presence descending and going up on that? God's presence is coming down and going up. His angels, he's bringing heaven down and up. See, God showed up in the life of Adam. He showed up in the life of Noah. He showed up in the life of Abraham. He showed up in the life of Lot. He showed up in the life of Isaac. And now he's showing up in the life of Jacob. God shows up in your life. We've got to be aware of it. And Jacob comes to this place where now he's not living on a borrowed faith of his father. His faith is becoming real and personal to him. And he realizes, he's beginning to realize, he's not going to understand it completely yet. But he's in the process of beginning to realize he's chasing a blessing. But the blessing he's chasing is a blessing that's going to work for him. God wants to give him a blessing that doesn't just work for him, it works through him. And Jacob's got to understand this and realize this. Now, Jacob's response to God, he builds an altar. He does respond to God. He builds an altar and he makes a declaration. But this declaration seems to be a little immature, doesn't it? He begins to respond and accept God's unconditional terms with his own conditional terms. Well, if God is going to do this, if God is going to do this, if God is going to do this. But God doesn't rebuke Jacob in his response. God extends his grace, and under that grace, Jacob's faith begins to take a process of growing. Just like his fathers, just like his grandfathers did. And see, Jacob's going to have to go, and he's gonna, we're going to learn this. He goes, and he works for his uncle Laban for many hard years. And eventually, he's going to have another encounter with God, where he wrestles with God. And he finally sees his identity changed. But I want us to see something in the Gospels because Jesus references this very moment with Jacob when Jacob has this visual of this staircase when he's calling his disciples. John chapter 1, start at verse 45. It says, Philip went to look for Nathanael and he told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip ever found you. And then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. But then watch Jesus' response. Jesus asked them, do you believe this just because I told you that I saw you under the tree? He says, you'll see greater things than this. And then he made this statement. I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. 
the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus references the dream of Jacob when he's calling his disciples and he lets them know, I am the bridge between God and man. I am the Lord who was standing at the top of that staircase that Jacob saw in his dream. I am the one that opens up a way for you and all of mankind to have access with God, with this, with Yahweh, who you have been praying to and proclaiming a relationship with for years. The nation of Israel has been proclaiming a relationship with for years. I am the one that opens up access to all of mankind, to God. And he would later declare himself as the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father unless they come through him. They don't come through any acts they do on their own. They come through Jesus Christ and the act that he did for us. He's saying, look, it's not about you trying to climb your way up that ladder. It's about you becoming aware of the fact that God has made himself available to you. It's not about you trying to get to some higher level of consciousness or trying to be a, reach a state of divinity and perfection on your own. No, just put your faith and your trust in the true divinity of God and Jesus Christ and follow Him. Because when we go our own way, we pay a great price. But when we surrender to God, we receive a great reward. What will your response be? Jacob responded, What's your response? And I want to challenge you, instead of approaching God with condition, in, in a conditional way, I've heard testimonies, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, what people will say, you know, I pray, God, if you do this for me, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. That's beautiful. If you do that, that's beautiful. But I just want to challenge us to not approach God conditionally, and instead approach Him with a revelation of who He is an awareness of who he is and what he's done for you. And we look at God and we say, God, not if you do this, not if you do that, you will be my God. No, since you did this, since you gave your son, Jesus Christ for me and for my life on that revelation, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, since you willingly went to a cross and gave yourself for me, I'm going to follow you with everything in my heart. Since you did this for me, what good is it for me to work against you? Because when we go our own way, we pay a great price. But when we surrender to God and his will and his way, we receive a great reward receive the promises of God. We receive relationship with the Father. We receive eternity with Him. Amen. Father, we just thank You today for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of who You are. And God, I do pray that we become aware of what You have done for us in our life that you are with us, God. Even when it seems like we're alone. Even when it feels like we can't find you in in the place we are, you're there. 
God, make us aware. Father, I pray today that that revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is in our life will be the revelation that leads us and guides us. That begins to nurture our faith. Father, for anyone that's in the sound of my voice today, whether in this room or watching online, if they've been living a life trying to create their own way, go in this life apart from you, apart from relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today that they would surrender. If that's you, I encourage you. Give God your heart and your will and your life. Put him on the throne. Declare him as Lord of your life. Believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And God, as we have done that, I pray that every day we wake up and we take up our cross and we follow you, God. The call that you have for our life we see our faith grow in you more and more every day. God, help us not to live to try to create your will. God, just help us to follow your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.